Welcome to the Grace Abounding Broadcast, sponsored by the Congregation of the Shreveport Grace Church in Shreveport, Louisiana. My name is Ken Weimer, and it is my privilege to minister the Word of God for you today. May the Lord Jesus Christ be praised and exalted through the message preached, and may He, by His Spirit of Grace, grant ears to hear to each one He came to save, and ransomed by His shed blood on the cross. Let's turn in our Bibles once again to Paul's epistle to the Galatians. My text today is chapter 5, from verse 19 down to verse 26, should the Lord so will. And I want to speak with you here about the fruit of the Spirit. Last time we looked at the conflict that is in every true child of God between the flesh, because we still are in this flesh, and the work of the Spirit, that when the Spirit enters into the sinner, the Spirit is the one who directs that sinner, saved by grace and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ alone, but still the flesh is the flesh. I'll go back up to verse 16 to give us the context and read down through verse 26 so that we can see the context. Paul in verse 16 of Galatians 5 says, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. To walk in the Spirit is to be directed by the Spirit. And we know it's the Spirit, when we talk about walking, it's the Spirit that gives that strength to put one foot in front of the other, else we couldn't walk. But to walk under His direction, to walk under His blessing, that's how those who are the Lord's walk. And not fulfilling or giving in to the lust of the flesh. And I will be the first to tell you that the lust of the flesh is far stronger than what I can manage. This flesh, if we attempt to take it on without the Spirit, will beat us every time. But in speaking of the lust of the flesh here, it's not simply in the direction of the works of the flesh that we read about in verse 19. But it's anything that would take our eyes off of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because the Spirit, to walk in the Spirit, is to walk with the eyes that the Spirit gives to look to Christ alone. And to, as the writer to the Hebrews says there in Hebrews 11, run the race that is set before us. Just as Christ came in the flesh, and yet was not subject to the flesh, even though he was sinless, yet his entire life was to the honor and glory of his Father on behalf of that people that the Father had given him. So when I see here walk in the Spirit, I read walk in Christ, who has given us his Spirit, whereby we should ever look to him and never to ourselves. 
because it says in verse 17, as we saw last time, the flesh lusted against the spirit. There's no good thing in this flesh. That's what Paul wrote there in Romans chapter 7, knowing that in me dwelleth no good thing. And so this flesh will always war against the testimony of the spirit in our hearts, pointing us to Christ. I know that there's some that are surprised. They think, well, once you're given the spirit of God, then there's no more temptation. That's not how God is purposed. In fact, in John chapter 17, in his high priestly prayer, Christ specifically addressed this point where he prayed to his father that the father should not take his own from this world, but that he should in the world keep them from the evil. That's in John chapter 17 and verse 15. I pray not that thou shouldst take them out of the world, but that thou shouldst keep them from the evil. Not only the evil that's in the world, but the evil that's within this heart. And you say, well, why would God so work as to leave us in this sin nature and not take it from us? Well, he'd have to kill us to do that, because the only thing that is going to quell this flesh is death. When we die and this body is put into the grave, there will be no more battle with this flesh. And we don't take it with us, thankfully, that while we're in this life, we're given, however, the Spirit of God. This is to show of the power of God's grace and keeping his own. In spite of the fact that we're yet sinners, yet we're justified sinners, and we're sanctified sinners by the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. But that flesh will always war against the Spirit. In fact, John and his epistle there in 1 John chapter 1 clearly declares that if a person says that they have not sinned, they lie, and the truth is not in them. That's in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 8, first of all. It says if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. That's self-deception. But then also in verse 10, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar. Here very clearly it shows us that while we're in this flesh, that flesh lusts against the spirit. So that says that any who continue to believe or preach that somehow when the spirit converts the heart that the sinner is given a perfect nature, that's not what it's saying here. This is saying that the spirit is given to war against the flesh until such time as God is pleased to take us from this world. But the one comfort is to know that the spirit can never be vanquished. That where the spirit is at work, his children will be led by that spirit. They will walk in that spirit because Christ is going to have everyone for whom he paid the debt. And so, continuing on in verse 17, the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. That's the conflict that every true child of God experiences in their heart. Am I one that would love to spend one day of this life 
without having the temptations of this flesh and being pulled by this flesh away from looking to Christ? Absolutely. But I just know it's never going to be so. As long as we live in this flesh, there's going to be that warfare. And it says in verse 17, these are contrary the one to the other. There's no changing of this flesh. You have people today that say, well, start working on the flesh and start striving to make the flesh better. That in and of itself is a deception. This flesh will not improve. That was the lie under which I lived for so many years, thinking that, first of all, I had the spirit, but I didn't. I was raised religiously in a system of works and self-will. And one of the things we were taught was to constantly battle the flesh ourselves and that the spirit would be there to help. But the more we battled, the more we committed ourselves to this endeavor that we would find ourselves sinning less and less. And dear friends, that's a lie from the pit of hell because nothing in this flesh is going to change. It is what it is. And it will not be reformed or re-educated. And yet, we have this promise of the Spirit that even though everything, and here again, everything in this flesh is contrary to the Spirit. That's why we're not to put any confidence in this flesh. There's no hope there. But the Spirit continues as needy sinners to direct our hearts and minds to the Lord Jesus Christ, who He is and what He accomplished for sinners such as we are. But left of the flesh, it says there, ye cannot do the things that ye would. And this is clearly what Paul expresses in his epistle to the Romans, chapter 7. Anybody that preaches otherwise is deceived and makes God a liar to think in any way that as you hear people say, they've got victory over sin. Now, the victory over sin was accomplished by the Lord Jesus Christ, where he was tempted in all things, yet without sin. And that his work is imputed to the account of those sinners for whom he died. Our righteousness is seated in the heavenlies, at the right hand of the Father, having come accomplished perfectly all the law's just demands in order that God might be just and justify those sinners for whom Christ died. But here in Romans 7.15, Paul declared this already, for that which I do, I allow not. In other words, we know that we should not in any way live according to this flesh, and yet we do. And it says, for what I would, in other words, by the Spirit of God, we know what the Scriptures declare, that our eyes be upon Christ, that we put no confidence in this flesh. And yet, Paul says, for what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I. So there's the reason why we can never trust this flesh, or put any confidence in it, or feel for even one moment that somehow our lives are better by our endeavors. 
Again, I keep coming back to what the hymn writer wrote there, that we dare not trust the sweetest frame. Doesn't matter if you feel, some say, well, I, I really feel saved today. What does that have to do with it? Salvation is not based upon feelings. Feelings come and feelings go and feelings are deceiving. Our only hope of salvation is not how I feel. We dare not trust even the sweetest frame but wholly lean on Jesus' name, on Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. And so that's why Paul, we saw that last time in verse 18, if ye be led by the Spirit, notice that's how the Spirit works, to lead those that Christ has redeemed. He continually leads us to the Lord Jesus Christ as our only hope. To his finished work accomplished for sinners such as we are. He leads us continually to the throne of grace that we might find grace to help in time of need. If we weren't sinners, we wouldn't need that throne of grace. And he leads us to rejoice in and rest in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ rather than the struggle and uh, the futility of trying to clean up this flesh. We can rest in that. That's why he says in verse 18, if ye be led by the, of the Spirit, ye are not under the law. In other words, we need not fear the law's curse and condemnation, even though when we read it, we see ourselves as condemned. But immediately the Spirit turns our eyes to the Lord Jesus Christ, who has satisfied that law, and therefore, we are under Christ and not under the condemnation of the law. And so, moving now into verse 19, where Paul declares, Now the works of the flesh are manifest. It's as if to say, it's evident what are the works of the flesh. And we know what they are because of our own flesh. Don't read this and this list is thinking, oh, that's pertaining to somebody else. Every one of us in whom the Spirit of Christ dwells, when we read what Paul describes here as the flesh and the works of the flesh, we identify those things as who we are. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry this is what is in every one of our hearts still witchcraft hatred variance emulations wrath strife seditions heresies envies murders drunkenness revelings and such like of which i tell you before as i have also told you in time past that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. I know there are those that say that this, when it says do such things, that it's referring to us having a tendency towards those things. No, that's who we are. And were it not for the spirit of grace separating us out unto Christ, who paid the sin debt, we would stand condemned for every one of these things, just as much as those in the world that do these things. 
and are never concerned by them, nor are they ever delivered by the grace of God because Christ didn't pay their sin debt. But we would, such would we be, just like these. And that's why it says, those that do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Any for whom Christ has not paid the debt, they will stand condemned before a holy God according to the works of the flesh. When you go into the book of Revelation and the, the final judgment, there are, there's that book of the Lamb slain, which has the names of those who were written therein from even before the foundation of the world. But they're saved, not because of any works of their own, but rather the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why it's called the book of the Lamb slain. Those names written from before the foundation of the world. And then it describes there in Revelation 20 about the other books that are, when they're opened, that's the book of works. And it says those whose names are found therein will be judged according to their works doesn't say that they will be saved according to their works. That is foreign to the message of Scripture, but judged. In other words, apart from the work of the Lord Jesus Christ and that him being that lamb slain, having taken all of this sin that is manifest right now, even now in our flesh, but taken it upon him and put away that sin, put away that judgment, so that even an omniscient, all-knowing God, it says in Scripture, sees our sin no more. Oh, what a, what a glorious place to be in. Versus those like us, we have the same adultery and fornication, uncleanness and lasciviousness and idolatry and witchcraft, etc. In us, yet not on us. They have it in them and on them, so that it says here, any that, that are found left to the flesh and the lust thereof shall not inherit the kingdom of God. The only thing the law can do is condemn them. You see how vital it is for us to be in Christ and to see our salvation in Him and Him alone. And so, that's why we read here in verse 22, again, the fruit of the Spirit. It says the fruit of the Spirit is, in contrast to everything that we are by nature, and all that is within us, so the things we would do, we do not, the things we would not do, those we do. Yet, the fruit of the Spirit, again, this is the blessing of the Spirit, Notice here the word is fruit, not fruits. This fruit is not of our nature nor of our flesh, but it is the effect of the presence of the Spirit within us. It doesn't change our evil nature because we read up there, already that, that, that conflict, the flesh lust against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh, but what the spirit does as a result of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ is cause us 
to look to Christ. And when you see there in verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit, what is the Spirit's work to do? What is that fruit? It's to give the glory to Christ. So when I read this in verse 22, it's not so much as how loving I become or how joyful I am or how peaceful I am. No. This fruit of the Spirit, remember, the, the purpose of the Spirit is to give all the glory to Christ. It's a reminder of who Christ is on our behalf, whereby left to ourselves, we would be condemned by the works of the flesh. Now, consider the fruit of the Spirit, that is, again, where you see Spirit put Christ. It's Christ's Spirit, who is love, who is joy, who is peace, who was long-suffering in his earthly ministry when he came, his work of salvation he came to accomplish, gentleness, goodness, faith. That's not describing me, but this describing that fruit of Christ on my behalf. Therein is my hope. Meekness. I'm not going to talk about my meekness. But the spirit dwelling in me points me to the meekness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Temperance. Against such there is no law. What it's saying then is if Christ indeed has fulfilled all of these things to the satisfaction of God the Father, there is no law that's going to condemn you, even though you know yourself to be nothing worse than an adulterer, a fornicator, unclean, lascivious, going down through that that's the contrast. It's who I am in myself. Take a piece of paper and draw a line down the middle. Here's who I am by the works of the flesh. Here's who Christ is. Against such there is no law. Christ so fully completed and satisfied the law. What did the Lord say? Even with love. What did the Lord say to that lawyer that came to see him and asked what he needed to do to inherit the kingdom of heaven? Notice by the question, Christ answered, what must I do? And Christ summed up the entire law in two terms. One, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength, and love your neighbors yourself. Love is the satisfaction of that law. Well, if that's the case, I could never love God as he deserves, and I certainly could never love my neighbors myself, but it's speaking here of the love of Christ, how he fulfilled that on behalf of such sinners as we are, and therefore against such there is no law. There's no one sinner for whom Christ paid the debt, and the Spirit being the witness, the testimony of this, that is going to be condemned by any lack of love, joy, peace, long-suffering on my part. Why? Because it's in Christ. It's his love. It's his joy. It's that peace that he established between God and those sinners that the Father has chosen. His long-suffering. His gentleness. His goodness. His faith. His meekness. His temperance. And for that, against such there is no law. It says here in verse 24 that they that are Christ's Notice, have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. Here again, people, 
read this amiss, and they say, all right, I've got to be about busy about crucifying this flesh, nailing it down every day. No, what it's saying is, notice that they that are Christ's have crucified. Notice, have crucified. It's a once for all crucifixion of the flesh with the affections and lust. But don't jump over that word, they that are Christ's. In other words, just as we've seen, the fruit of the Spirit points us to Christ and how he accomplished the law. And so they that are Christ's are no longer under condemnation because it's for that reason that Christ was crucified, that Christ died. That this flesh and all of its condemnation that would bring us into condemnation has already been crucified, nailed to the cross with the affections and lusts thereof. It's not just the outward things that are mentioned as works of the flesh, adultery, fornication, but the very affections and lusts of this heart. So when they rise up in our heart, how are we to look at this? We're to look at it as even for that, the Lord Jesus Christ has paid the debt. And all, not just the outward disobedience to the law, but all the affections and lusts of this flesh that work against the law to my condemnation have been crucified. Note that, have been crucified. That's when Christ died. That's the curse that he took upon himself. Not just the letter of the law, but the very spirit of the law. And if it's been crucified with him, then there is therefore now no more condemnation. That's what Paul wrote about there where he said that we have been crucified with Christ. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith, notice by the faith of the Son of God, by that faith that he fulfilled and uh, who loved me and gave himself for me. That's in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. And that's why Paul says, I don't frustrate the grace of God. What Paul is talking about here is the reminder of who we are in this flesh, and yet the grace of God in the Lord Jesus Christ that has accomplished our justification in fulfilling all these things on our behalf. That's the fruit of the Spirit. That's the effect of Christ's work and his death on the cross that has delivered us once for all from the condemnation of the flesh. The flesh can roar like a lion, but it can't hurt us because that lion has been chained. In other words, the very sin in us that would otherwise condemn us, the Lord has satisfied. And so, verse 24 very clearly shows us that key word, have crucified the flesh. It can roar, but it cannot hurt because it was for such that the Lord Jesus Christ came and accomplished the salvation of his children so that the flesh and all it would lust against that very work of Christ has no merit and no 
power over anyone that is the Lord's. So to sum this up in verses 25 and 26, if we live in the spirit, let us walk in the spirit. Again, knowing that what we carry about in this body of flesh can only condemn us. And yet to live in the spirit is to live in Christ, to live as one who has been redeemed and justified by the Lord Jesus Christ and his spirit being given us as a testimony to the fact that we are the Lord's. It's not just a matter of me persuading myself that I'm the Lord's or by some supposed personal decision becoming the Lord. No. Those for whom Christ paid the debt and put away this sin, he sends his spirit as a witness to our hearts that we are indeed in him. And so the exhortation is, so let him walk in his spirit. We're not to walk in fear or worry because this flesh raises its ugly head. I truly believe that when it does, that the Spirit is there to direct us away from continuing to wrestle in our minds and hearts with those lusts. Again, the Spirit is given to direct us to Christ, to see how in the Lord Jesus Christ, He has satisfied everything that stands against us. Therefore, we live and walk in the Lord Jesus Christ. You've been listening to the Grace Abounding Broadcast brought to you by the Congregation of the Shreveport Grace Church in Shreveport, Louisiana. We meet at 2970 Baird Road and invite you to join us each Sunday beginning at 10 a.m. For more information, please visit our website at www.shrevegrace.org or call 318-687-4943. Please plan to join us again next week.